It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. Uh, it's 1 o'clock. It's Tuesday, so we're going to go ahead and jump in on this. Um, you know, I have the privilege of meeting so many different leaders and in- incredible th- kind of thought-provoking uh, leaders in different organizations at different events. And so we've really brought these people here together onto the show to have a great conversation and hopefully let you listen in on some of the things we're talking about, things we're interested in. And uh, so hopefully you can use that you know, down the road uh, for yourself in your own way. Talent Talk, as I said, is live here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it can be accessed, though. Most of you come in and get it kind of after the fact. Although we do the show live, most of you come in through iTunes or iHeartRadio. We've amassed a huge following. Uh, We had over 600,000 of you come in last week and interact with at least one of the different podcasts or through iHeartRadio. So a big thank you to everyone who's showing up regularly. Uh, we also have a great conversation going on on Twitter. Um, we generally try to live tweet the show, but um, you can go on, ask questions, you can make comments uh, as you're listening to the show. Maybe uh, reach out to, to me or one of the guests and kind of give us your two cents or ask a question. We're happy to keep that conversation going from then on out. So uh, if you have a question today, you can submit it on Twitter at PeopleG2. Uh, put your question in there. Add that hashtag Talent Talk. That's really important so my producer, Mike, can grab it and uh, feed it over to me uh, while we're going. All right, we've got all the business out of the way. Um, let's go ahead and get to my guest. My first guest today will be Ann Fulton, the CEO of Fuel50. And then we'll have uh, Ray Zinn, the former CEO of uh, Micro Semiconductor. Ray will join me in the second half of the show after our commercial break. But let's go ahead and get to Ann. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Chris. Yeah, great to be here today. Thank you. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do over at your company, uh, Fuel50. Super. So, yeah, I'm Ann Fulton, CEO and founder of Fuel50. Fuel50 is career pathing software. So we're about enabling people to kind of see where they can go within an organization, get that visible sightline to opportunities, um, and really have a great career experience at work. So, um, you know, having been involved with the business now for um, three years, everyone kind of wonders where we're from. So, yes, we started in New Zealand, but uh, headquartered in uh, Southern California now for a couple of years. So, yeah, we're really um, taking the story now to to lots and lots of companies across the globe and here in the U.S. particularly. And, uh, yeah, helping people have more fun at work about what we're about. Well, that's always a good thing. Um, so I'm sure uh, you know companies and employees are excited to have you in there. Um, it seems like more and more companies these days are moving to greater use of 
things like HR metrics to measure the success of their different HR processes. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, why you think that is. I mean, it's, it's, you're kind of bringing in the fun, but you know, we want to make sure these process, these new programs and things are working well. How are you kind of seeing these HR metrics and, and those, you know, similar types of things working into programs like yours? Yeah, so yeah, 100%. So yeah, while career pathing software helps people kind of live their dreams and live their passions and be more values aligned at work and, and have more fun at work, you know, through leveraging their talent, but really all uh, technology investments need to deliver a return. So, you know, HR need to be able to communicate the value that they're delivering to the business and metrics that the business can relate to. So, you know, for us, it's things like um, business productivity. You know, so what's the revenue per, per employee like when you're bringing in um, career-pathing software that's going to engage and motivate employees? We're also looking at metrics such as um, talent retention. So are you keeping your people? Are you keeping them longer? Um, are they engaged? Uh, but also things like, you know, hiring costs. What's that costing you and what's your return on investment for the people that you're bringing on and one of the final metrics we look at is time to productivity of talent so you know what we've seen is that you know if you promote people internally you're going to get faster time to productivity so people you know know who to talk to they've got institutional knowledge you know they're already up and armed and ready to go and, and that delivers a you know real business benefit around improved time to productivity of new hires so there's some of the kind of metrics that we think are super important for organizations to look at as they're evaluating you know the hr um, initiatives and processes we personally don't do anything unless we can measure you know and deliver a measurable impact to our clients super important to us you mentioned the um kind of that metric around promoting your people internally. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, I recently read the book Shoe Dog, and there was a really kind of cool little story in there about what what that author had kind of experienced that they kept trying to bring in all these new people from the outside, and they weren't getting it. They didn't understand the culture. And, you know, while he was in Japan, someone had told him, you know, look at that bamboo. In a year, it will have grown one foot. And that was this kind of, you know, neat way of looking at that people need to grow. You need to invest invest in your people and to get them to grow and but it's going to happen incrementally and slowly and um so so what are you kind of seeing around that area yeah i, I love that book too and i thought it was really inspirational you know their story and, and their challenges but yeah that, that's a beautiful kind of quote around um you know growing your own talent and and, and what we, um, you know, are really focused on within organisations is finding out what people love, what skills and talents do they most want to leverage at work, and then if you're able to actually do that, um, you know, find their talent, find their hidden talent and potential, that, that equates to kind of discretionary effort. People are going to be more motivated, more engaged, want to contribute more and add more value to the organisation. So all of that kind of equates down in, in terms of business metrics into, you know, productivity and productivity per employee. So in some of our organisations that we've uh, been involved with and we, where we studied, you know, what were the best in class behaviours associated with a great career experience for their organisation and, and great talent management, you know, what we saw was that there was three times the revenue per employee for organisations that were doing a good job of doing that, of growing their own and retaining and, you know, giving um, people opportunities. One of the other things that we saw was um, what we called was a positive gain spiral. So, you know, this is using kind of statistical terminology. But what we found was that 
um, more internal people promoted. That motivated other people around them. So there was more engagement. Um, there was actually lower absenteeism um, and, you know, higher engagement, higher productivity in those organisations, as well as reduced recruiting costs. Um, and that faster time to productivity. So if you can invest in your own talent, you know, there's a real business benefit that's available to those organizations. Well, did you did you say that term was positive gain spiral? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so it kind of like spirals up, you know, a little bit like your bamboo analogy. It kind of actually, it, everything works together to actually get to, to, to deliver a business um, gain, positive gain. I love that term. Um, it sounds like a good name for a band as well. But um, <laughs> so you know, we, we you've, you've kind of touched on a few different uh, areas around kind of this all-encompassing area we started with, which was metrics. And so, how does this ultimately, you know, maybe how do companies ultimately push this into? Um, the area of motivation and really making sure that their their employees are engaged uh, at a high level. Yeah, n- nice question because I actually think you know that um, engagement and motivation has got to come down to it's got to be individualized. So it's got to come down to what each and every person you know actually wants within their role. So what's going to engage and motivate you is going to be very different to, to my engagers and motivators. So what we really focus on enabling is helping people to, one, articulate their top engagers and motivators and career success factors, uh, but then also putting that information in the hands of managers and leaders so that they can then support and facilitate that um, kind of engagement model. And, you know, we kind of talk about the analogy of, you know, light the fire one person at a time and, and, and you can actually create a bushfire of engagement as people kind of become engaged with their work. Um, we've got some organisations that have taken like a values programme and values alignment program out to um, you know every employee across the globe, and I think it's now in 33 countries. This is with Dia Smith out of the UK, and I think we're in like 28 languages for them. And um, their program's called the Engaging Manager. But what they're able to do is, is find out the career values of each and every employee and then supporting those leaders to have those conversations to facilitate that values and alignment and they've had some beautiful productivity and engagement gains right across the business you know through rolling out this engaging manager program so it's super exciting to be involved with seeing that happen at scale you know with, with our bushfire analogy can't be used in california or, or australia at certain times of the year i'm afraid right right <laughs> so you know you you kind of hit on something i had hadn't expected, and that was you know, taking this program into all of these different areas um, across the globe. So are there differences in those programs that are regionally specific, or do you try to apply the same program in the same way you know, across the globe? I mean, because we're looking at engagement and motivation and career pathing as being an individualized experience, right? So getting it right one person at a time, it will always be customized down to each organization and each organization's culture. So that's kind of more important to us than kind of looking globally, you know, or regionally across trends. 
know, although we have, you know, because we get global data, we have seen that, you know, there's certain populations have different values across the globe um, and different um, career aspirations. So we, we've seen in particular that the Asian populations are super career um, hungry and aspirant and career mobile. So they're prepared to go anywhere to kind of progress their opportunities and dreams. Whereas you know, here in the US, you know, people are, are, are less mobile and, and more kind of committed to being where they are. But um, I guess, you know, that that's one of the uh, career agility factors that we look at with our solution. And, and that kind of looks at, you know, what, what are my kind of criteria um, you know, around, um, you know, an ideal career for me. So that includes things like, you know, where do I want to work? Um, you know, how mobile am I? Do I prefer to go down the expert or the leader track? Um, you know, and, and what kind of stage in my career am I at? You know, so my early stage or late stage. So, you know, we cater to both the millennial career experience, but equally to the boomer. You know, they've got particular um, kind of career expectations. We, we hear a lot about the millennials right now, but the boomers also uh, are having kind of emerging and um, redefined expectations of their work experience as they're expected to work longer <laughs> and for more right. years ahead. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's it's just a very different challenges uh, as you move across the globe. You mentioned sort of maybe some different value sets um, based on uh, where they are. Um, but I found it really interesting, though, that your sounds like your approach, though, that you are taking this from an individual standpoint as a as your baseline, sort of allows you to go into these different places and allow that customization to take take hold. So whether or not uh, where they are from a locality standpoint, whether from a value standpoint, where they are, you know, I guess uh, on the food chain as well, right? That they can customize this in a way that uh, will allow them to get the most out of it and hopefully be engaged and motivated and and do their best work for, for companies so that they can have a job and, and, and companies can be profitable and all those, you know, kind of good necessary things that must happen inside of business. It, it yeah, kind of sounds 100%. like you're really being able to feed a, feed, feed a great, uh, almost like, I don't know if you would put it this way, but, you know, you're kind of providing extra wood for the fire to keep things going. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, while we're individualizing it, um, you know, another one of our passions is that we take it to everyone, everyone across the business. So, um, you know, a few years ago, you know, a lot of people were investing particularly in high talent programs, high potential programs or accelerate programs only for key talent. But, you know, they're kind of wasting and neglecting a huge talent resource that's sitting within an organization. So, you know, it's one of our passions to be able to, you know, take it to everyone across a business. And um, the career pathing solution is, you know, so scalable now uh, in terms of being able to kind of leverage technology to be able to take that story, you know, the personalized story to each person and, you know, um, customize it down to the individual level and organizational level. But, um, yeah, that becomes quite scalable in terms of how that can um, impact across an organization. So as you're talking to these different companies, um, are, are there, do there tend to be maybe a, a few couple things that they tend to be lacking or struggling with from an HR initiative standpoint that maybe they really should have in place, but you know, maybe you're consistently seeing that they're not, and that's sort of, you know, feeding into this issue. It's kind of feeding into their engagement issues and motivation issues. What are you seeing there? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we're seeing, uh, you know, is, is um, over 80% of people leave their organisations due to a lack of career development. You know, so if you're getting people exiting, I mean, that, that that's an outpouring of people or a loss of talent to that business that can quite easily be addressed. Um, but I think the other thing that we're hearing from organisations that we're working with is that there's got to be a better way of delivering the performance conversation and, you know, delivering that, you know, um, individual performance and productivity and, and growth that they want so that the organisation has the agile talent, you know, ready to meet its strategic objectives. You know, um, HBR, you know, Harvard Business Review earlier this year, you know, showed that um, top of the CEO agenda, you know, is um, talent, you know, that they're concerned about having the talent to meet strategic business objectives. So, um, you know, we think it's going to be an increasing issue for organisations um, as we are experiencing kind of the, 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 the talent um, shortage that's been predicted for a number of years. So, yeah, so there's, there's uh, you know, uh, increasing demand or pressure on organisations to kind of get um, this piece right. Um, and there's a huge demand also from the millennials, you know. So, so um, you know, they're, they're a very vocal group around their career expectations. So it, uh, a lot of the researchers are showing us that, you know, that they're, they're demanding it and if they don't get what they want from that particular organisation, they'll quite quickly move on. So, yeah, those are some of the issues that we're hearing kind of regularly at the moment. Yeah, you hit on a, on something that's come up on this show quite a bit and that I hear a lot in, in uh, different conferences is that this idea that you know, millennials, um, however they've learned it, they have learned the lessons of those who have come before them that you shouldn't be satisfied or you shouldn't you know, sit in a job if you're not particularly happy. And so we're we're seeing a much higher rate of that you know particular generational group saying oh, no it's not for me I'll go over here um, and things like money things like hours things will maybe be not uh, you can't keep them with that you know giving them a little extra money or doing some different things that maybe would have worked with other groups um, aren't working they want you know the the, the path to to go forward. They want to understand the company's purpose. They want to have these other kind of bigger, larger things in place that they can understand and digest. Uh, that maybe I made this joke before on the show, but if you told me I was going to do the worst, most horrible job ever coming out of college, but I could have made a hundred thousand dollars, I would have said, great, I'm in. I wouldn't, as long as that wasn't something illegal, I would have done it. You know, I just wanted the money so I could go get a house and I could go these other life goals and that other way. And then, you know, later on I could do a job I like. And that doesn't seem like it's really the, uh, follow the millennial generation does not seem to be cut from that that same cloth, which has its advantages and probably disadvantages as well. It's not not necessarily a, a take on them, but um, are you kind of seeing that as well with the millennial group? Yeah, I mean, I, I love your little story there because I think that's kind of a, a reality, which is that um, you know people um, make different choices at different stages of their career. So it's not that unusual to you know to be financially motivated at one or more points in your career. But what we do find is that those that values and purpose and you know wanting to use your talents becomes actually more important um, later on in your um, career experience and. One of the things that we see is that, you know, the first decision we make around our career is often around our talents. You know, like our talents are visible to other people. Um, 
And, um, you know, people might say to me, oh, you're really good at math, you should be an accountant, or, you know, you're good at arguing, you should be a lawyer. You know, so those, that kind of visible talent becomes often our first career decision. But those decisions change, you know, um, over our lifetime as to what's more important and, and, and what improvements we need to make. But, um, yeah, I think that millennial experience, you know, what, what, we, what we saw was that once upon a time there was a, what we call a kind of staircase model of um, career development where, you know, every couple of years you could get a promotion uh, and expect to kind of move up the hierarchy. But that went out, you know, last decade, if not last century. You know, it's, it's so, you know, kind of not relevant to the 2020 world that we're approaching. So what we are working with organisations is how do you motivate and engage and retain those millennials? Because what we're the career model today is much more about longer runs, you know. So instead of a staircase, you're getting a longer run, more horizontal. Um, and then when there is a rise, it's often a really steep rise, and people are unprepared for those opportunities. So the kind of new career model or career paradigm today is about um, designing stretch projects, um, stretch learning, stretch experiences for employees during those longer runs and, and that gives the employee, or particularly the millennial, a sense of building their career marketability so that they've got a sense of momentum and growth without necessarily having any job title change or a vertical kind of or positional um, job change. So, you know, that that's the 2020 kind of reality that we're moving towards. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of our favorite questions, and I think you're going to have a great answer, seeing how uh, kind of <laughs> on top of it you are with all of these things all around HR and, and motivation and engagement. I'm wondering, if is there a book that you're reading right now or maybe you just recently finished that you might tell us about? Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of my top books from this year has been um, The Alliance, you know, which is by Reid Hoffman, the founder of um, uh, LinkedIn. And, um, you know, that they've got a really big vision for the career experience that we kind of share. Um, and, and we've even been called the antidote to LinkedIn. You know, so LinkedIn is sending you out job adverts and, um, you know, positions and, and allowing you to connect with people. So, you know, Wall Street Journal earlier this year called us that antidote to LinkedIn and that, and that we're about providing that kind of connection and, um, um, uh, you know, within within an organisation, connection and visibility to career pathing. So, um, yeah, but but not but that putting that aside is that really admire the thinking you know that Reid introduces um, around redefining work relationships. You know, he he talks a lot about um, transparent conversations and something that you know I really relate to, which is you know if, if you don't ask the question of somebody around um, you know what they want in their career. The reality is that somebody, you know, two doors down or, you know, a block away from you is going to be asking that question of your employees. So putting your head in the sand and pretending that, you know, you know if I don't ask them, it won't come up, you know, around their career experience is, is kind of really short-term thinking. So uh, Reid talks about, you know, having a new transactional model. It's about kind of short-term, the gig economy, where, you know, we're almost thinking of it a little bit like Uber. You know, um, two people may want to head in the same direction and, and somebody was happy to share their car for that uh, ride. So it becomes a new kind of transaction model. So what we're seeing, I guess, in the workforce that Reid talks about is that um, there's a new kind of model of engagement, which is, you know, is there goal alignment, you know, between me and where I want to go in my career and, and the skills I want to learn and develop and contribute, but and also the business demands. So it becomes kind of a, a new model for, for engagement. 
So, yeah, we, we, we really um, enjoy that work um, and that, that viewpoint and, and can see how, you know, it, it's where we're headed to, towards in terms of, you know, kind of a new vision for um, the talent economy uh, today. It sounds like a, a fascinating book. I, I've heard it mentioned before, so uh, definitely one that I think people will want to check out um, and certainly an interesting one coming from LinkedIn. Um, you, you know, you've, you've mentioned a, a lot of great things here today. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to be on the show. Um, if people are interested in learning more about Fuel 50, if they uh, maybe want to work with you, uh, what's the best way for them to find out more? Oh, sure. So, um, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. So just visiting our website, fuel5050.com is the fastest way to connect with us, or I'm Anne with an E at fuel50.com. And we've also written a book um, on the career engagement game, um, which uh, is available on Amazon. And, and you're obviously, you know, it's well worth a read there. And even Reed Hoffman in his book talks about some of our values Um alignment work and how you can leverage that so he's used a couple of examples with his own executive team um, and taking them through a values and purpose alignment kind of program that is uh, outlined in our book so yeah we'd love to hear from you and happy to engage further yeah well um, I'm sure people will love to do that and uh, hopefully we can have you come back on the show at some point and give us an update uh, really enjoyed uh, hearing uh, all about your company and maybe we'll find out uh, how you how you chose to move from New Zealand to Southern California next time. But, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been really fun. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with my second guest, Ray Zinn. And discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, my next guest will be Ray Zinn, the former CEO of uh, Michael Semiconductor. As a reminder, don't forget you can tweet your questions to us uh, live by uh, sending them to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. And even if you're listening after the fact, you can still send questions and make comments and guest suggestions, whatever you like. We do monitor that on a regular basis. Happy to keep that conversation going. Uh, and you can also go to TalentTalkRadio.com and uh, get the episodes there directly, as well as iTunes or uh, iHeartRadio. You can be, we can be found all over the place. So I'd uh, love to have you check out uh, our past episodes as well. 
right, let's go ahead and get over to Ray. Uh, Ray, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chris. Love to be here. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, maybe kind of some of the highlights of your, your business background and uh, what you're currently doing in retirement. Okay, so um, I grew up in, uh, in Southern California down the Imperial Valley. My dad was a cattle rancher and so more of a agrarian background, oldest of 11 children. I'm currently 79, just retired uh, last year after I sold the company to Microchip uh, in uh, August of 2015. So um, I have an undergraduate in engineering and a MBA or master's in business um, and considered to be Silicon Valley's longest-serving uh, CEO. So that's – I just wrote a book, Tough Things First. So that's a little bit about me. Well, so let's maybe kind of go back to some of the beginning here. Uh, I think it was 1978 you founded the company, and uh, which was the most kind of uh, in- – enduring and consistently profitable business in the industry in Silicon Valley. So maybe, what do you what do you attribute to your success to? Well, I've always held that uh, you spell success W-R-K. In other words, it's it's nothing but hard work. And uh, if you persevere and never give up and never take no for an answer, um, you have a good chance of, of succeeding. So that's kind of the, the hallmark or the the basis of uh, of how I run a business is I focus on on doing the tough things first and and um, or as they say eating the ugly frog uh, first every day. So uh, I have a very detailed routine that I that I live by. I get up at five thirty and exercise for an hour and and then uh, just tackle my tough jobs first and, and the rest of the day kind of takes care of itself. So that's kind of the the mantra of uh, of my. Uh, my business uh, acumen. So you, you've kind of touched on here this idea of doing the tough things first. And, you know, immediately what popped in my head about when you said, you know, that W-O-R-K uh, work is I know a lot of people that work their butts off and they're not successful at all. They are not good at what they do. They struggle all the time and they're working insane hours and, you know, seem to be, it's not for a lack of effort, but it does seem to be a lack of focus or a lack of, doing the right work at the right time, uh, maybe priorities, whatever those may be. But if I'm going to kind of paraphrase what I think you're saying here is it's your kind of your mantra is to start with working on what's the hardest things first as opposed to running around and maybe doing lots of other B and C tasks and, and things that make you feel busy but maybe aren't really impacting the business. Is that sort of what you're saying? Exactly. So, uh, you know, as you pointed out, everybody works hard. I'm, I'm sure they do. Uh, and they put in their their time, uh, and so they say that, that they're working. But I I don't spell success, you know, like uh, work. I spell it work. In other words, you got to keep accelerating in your uh, in your effort, and and really that to, to do the tough things first every day, you can improve your efficiency by twenty percent. I promise you that if you will tackle those tasks that you don't want to do. So when you get up. Think about, well, what do I don't want to do today? And that's the first thing I do, and that's the first thing I would recommend your listeners do, is just grab a hold of those tasks that are so detestable, something you just can't hardly even stomach thinking about, and go get those done, and the rest of the day will go by much uh, uh, more smooth. So I recently read a book called The One Thing, and it reminds me a little bit of, of what you're talking about. And then I guess if I... 
you know, kind of distill that book down. It's, you know, what's the one thing you really, you really should be doing. And it sounds like what you're kind of saying is, is, you know, uh, pick that one thing that's going to be really tough, really hard, but we know is going to help our business. Make that tough phone call. Um, deal with that, you know, problem employee. Um, you know, what's that thing you've been avoiding doing that will probably have a huge impact to your business? And um, as you mentioned, you, you wrote a book uh, called Tough Things First. Is is that what we can expect? You're going to kind of walk us through that process on, on how to make that happen? Yes. So the book, Tough Things First, really is a, um, a kind of a catalog of, of how do you run a business. So it's more than just focusing on, on eating ugly frog first. It has to do with a lot of, of pieces of the puzzle that you have to focus on. Cash is king, for example, is another uh, aspect of, of, of the book. Because uh, if you if you have cash, you don't run out of business. You only run out of business if you run out of cash. So I talk about that. I talk about how to treat people, uh, the culture of the company, the vision that the, that, that you need to, to be a successful company. And, and so there's a whole lot of little pieces of the of the puzzle that have to come together. You know, the puzzle's made up of thousands of pieces. It's not made up of just one piece. And so, you know, fitting that puzzle together, making it so that it ends up looking like the picture that it's supposed to be is the, is the key. And that's what I talk about in, in my book, Tough Things First. So uh, I think I read in, a, in kind of doing a little bit of research on you that your mantra was to learn to love what you don't love doing or it will never get done. And I thought maybe you could explain that because I, I have had an interesting sort of uh, experience with some very successful people taking a different approach to this. So I would love to hear what your kind of your thoughts are on that on that saying. The aspect of of loving the things you hate really goes about people too. I mean, you know, if you can learn to like somebody you don't like, think about how much better you will be as a person if you can learn to love those that you don't like. Uh, and, and, and and that doesn't go just with tasks. That goes with working with people. You're going to have employees which are not necessarily going to be, you know, the most productive, that, that, that even the ones that maybe don't like you, that they don't like your, your style. But you have to learn to love them anyway. And, and that means getting outside yourself and, and, and focusing on others rather than on the me, me, me. If you focus on others... Um, you're going to learn to love the things you don't like doing because focusing on yourself, you, you become selfish. And then, of course, your employees or your, your um, uh, customers will, will recognize that and, and they will um, uh, not be as, as amenable to, to working with you. So um, learning to love the things you hate is, is really something that I've, I've tackled. If, if I find that I don't like doing something, I will work at that until I love to do it. You know, Emerson said, that which you persist in doing becomes easier. Not that the nature of the task changes, but your ability to perform it becomes becomes easier. And that's what I mean by loving the things you hate. And, you know, I have uh, had this experience where I've asked uh, this sort of, uh, maybe a, it's a parallel question, at least it's, it's somewhat related, that, uh, you know, I used to ask uh, really successful people, you know, should I work on those things that I'm not, you know, necessarily good at or they don't enjoy doing or what have you. And they would always tell me yes. And then I would ask them the follow-up question, which was, but do you do that? And they would say, no, I never, I don't do that. I, I give it to somebody else to do. And I found that sort of uh, parallel, that, that idea to be really fascinating, that society tells us to work at those things we're not good at and to, you know, get better at those things. And yet I was finding the most successful people were just finding other people to sort of compliment them. They were, so they could really focus on what they do well 
and allow somebody else to do the thing that they don't like uh, and let them do well and let them kind of run with it because that's what they have passion in. But does that idea run counter to what you're saying, or or is there some something else here? Is there another layer to it? Well, I I don't think that I'm only five foot eight, so I'm vertically handicapped. So I don't think <laughs> me trying to be an NBA uh, basketball player uh, makes any sense. Uh, so I'm not saying that you should tackle something for which you have some limitations in doing. You know, not everybody should be a doctor or a lawyer or. You know, and I mean, there is Adam Smith talks about in the Wealth of Nations. He talks about the division of labor, and so we do want to make sure that we focus on on, on those areas where we have, um, you know, the the best talent. And so, uh, loving the things you hate goes to you as a person, not necessarily going to tackle some other ridiculous task for which you really are not ha- have the talent or the experience or the or the uh, knowledge to do such. So it goes to what we call wisdom. Wisdom is a proper application of knowledge. And so being wise in the way you run your company means that you realize your shortcomings and your weaknesses, and, and you rely on others who have those strengths to, to bolster or strengthen your, uh, your capability. So, but that's not what I mean by loving the things you hate. So uh, loving the things you hate is the things you don't like doing. You know, for example, maybe it's learning to play the piano, or maybe it's uh, learning to get along with your wife or your spouse or or your children or or or, or your neighbor. Uh, that's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about the division of labor uh, that, that Adam Smith talked about in his book. Well, I'm glad you made we kind of went into that. We could make that um, kind of distinction because it's um, it looks like it's a slightly different topic or a different idea that we're looking at. Um, you know, you mentioned the idea about finding ways to, to love those things, and one of those things was maybe people that you don't necessarily like. Maybe there's an employee or someone who's might be doing a good job, but you don't necessarily like them. Um, and you mentioned that could be because of different leadership styles or different ways in which we interact. Can you talk a little bit about your own leadership abilities and qualities? You know, what sort of makes you tick, you know, as you're running, a, as you ran your company for so many years, what would people expect from you from a leadership style standpoint? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question, Chris, because this is really the key. When I hire a person or, or one of my employees hires someone, I always tell them to say, we are not here to make you rich. That's your job. We're here to help you become a better person. Better people make better employees. So we focus on the, uh, a culture that helps develop people to become better people. Uh, and so the culture at Crow was, Honesty, integrity, dignity of every individual. We didn't allow any swearing. And then doing whatever it takes, no excuses. Those are the four, four cultures of, of uh, my crowd. Uh, and so I've had people, uh, almost to a man come, or a woman, come back to me and say, you know, my tenure at, at your company, I have become a better person. Not just at work, at home, or in, in, in my, with my friends or in my social relationships. Uh, and so... If you can help people become better people, they will be better employees. That's the key, helping people become better. And that was the goal I had. I wasn't there to try to make them rich because I told them that's your job. You have to make yourself rich. I'm not going to do that. But I will help you become better as a person. And that must have been terribly rewarding for you to have those people come back and 
uh, it's, it's maybe a similar experience a teacher might have. And, you know, kids come back after many years and, and kind of report back that the lessons that you taught or the things that you did, you know, made an impact on them in the long run. Um, was that in part, you know, your motivation to, to, to see those people make that progress and to have that, that good feeling that you were able to do that for people? That was the primary reason I started my Krell. I said, I'm going to have a company that helps people become better. Most companies don't try, That's not their goal. Their goal is to either make their investors rich or to make themselves rich or to, or to do other something other at their nonprofit, whatever their, their goal is. But very few companies have an actual um, mission to help people become better people. And I see that's my role here in mortality is to really is to make my pathway better for others and to, to give back, not just to take. And so if you have a, you know, a give mentality, then you're more likely to, to help others and we're going to have a much better world. So, you know, as you kind of went through with being the longest-serving uh, uh, CEO in Silicon Valley or had a very long tenure, um, were there times uh, – let me rephrase. Do you think that it was easy or did you struggle or is it something you had to be, you know, sort of constantly doing to kind of keep yourself, you know, up with the times or relative to everything that was changing? I mean, you, you've seen an incredible amount of technology, uh, business processes and things just changed dramatically. So how did you in that role keep yourself relevant so you were still the right person to be the leader of that company? Well, it, I'm not going to say it's easy. Uh, uh, if it's easy, then you're just not trying hard enough. As, as uh, Tom Peters says in his book, if you're not getting fired, you're just not trying hard enough. So it's not like I didn't step out. I was out in the lead there. I, was, I, I have over 22 patents. Uh, so I, I, I led by example. Um, if there was a piece of paper or a trash on the floor, I'd pick it up and, and, and dispose of it. Uh, I, I didn't mind doing the, the, the trivial, menial tasks. And I told my people the same thing, you know, that it's the menial tasks that destroy a company if they're not done. And so, you know, if you're, if you're watching out for the little things, the big things take care of themselves. So, uh, yes, I had to stay up on the, uh, up on the technology uh, it was not ever was not easy. You can't be a public company for 37 years. I mean, not 30, 21 years as a public company. You can't do that for that length of time without running into to, to, to problems or difficulties. My company survived five different business cycles, and and I say that if you haven't gone through at least two business cycles, you really can't call yourself an enduring company. An enduring company is one that can survive multiple business cycles. And we did that five cycles in, in, in my tenure. Uh, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, as we sort of look at you and, and your role in a more kind of in-depth way, I also sort of wondered if you feel like your maybe your leadership uh, approach or how you manage your talent, do you feel like it changed over time uh, for the good, for the better, or, or, or was it fairly consistent from, from beginning to end? I'd like to think it was consistent. We always had the mission of helping people to become better people. And so that changes over time, but the mission doesn't change as far as, you know, your approach. I mean, uh, so the mission doesn't change, but your approach to it may change because, as, as you said, times change. We, back when I started the company, there was no such a thing as social media, but now there is. So the way we advertise, the way we interact, the way we connect, that changes, and you have to adapt. 
if you don't adapt, it's like who moved the cheese. In other words, you're going you're gonna to starve to death. So you have to be willing and able to adapt to the cultures and changes that we, that we see around us, both in terms of, of nationally as well as internationally. Yeah, and it's it's a fascinating um, you know kind of concept that I guess if we're right at what we're doing, then we should be able to stay fairly consistent over time and um, yeah, find ways to grow and, and change as as things change. And we mentioned social media coming into play, I and mean, the internet came into play. So many different things happened uh, during those dis- different business cycles that you mentioned. Uh, it's amazing that. Um, uh, your work at uh, Micro was able to to kind of withstand that and and uh, stay on track, and you were able to have a positive outcome in in your exit. So uh, it's it's a really kind of remarkable story for us to hear. Well, uh, one of the questions that we love to answer, or excuse me, not answer, ask. We like to ask our guests, um, and hopefully, you have a great answer for us. And you've mentioned quite a few different books already and different quotes. And I'm wondering if there's a book you're reading right now or maybe recently finished that you might suggest uh, our listeners uh, take a look at. Well, honestly, the book I'm reading right now is, is more of a spy novel and more entertainment. It's A Foreign Agent uh, by Brad Thor. So it's more of a, of a entertaining thing for me because, you know, your question was, what book am I reading right now? That's, that's right. the, you know, the, the book I'm reading. I've read lots of books. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, 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 Greg McKeelan, wrote a book called Essentialism, and he included me in his book, actually, and and uh, and, and I enjoyed reading his book because it kind of goes along with my mantra of being a disciplined person, and so his book is, talks about uh, being disciplined uh, in, in our the way we run our lives. Uh, and <clears throat> so, you know, I, I've read so many books. I mean, it's... I mean, you go all the way back to, you know, to, as you say, you know, a couple hundred years ago, more than, I guess, yeah, more than a couple hundred years, when Adam Smith wrote his book, Wealth of Nations. So, uh, but, you know, uh, Management by Objectives, uh, I've, you know, Seven Habits of, of Successful Business People, uh, you know, I, I, I just about read them all. Right. Well, it's great. And I mean, it's another book I liked, uh, you know, so there's just lots. There are lots of good books. And, you know, it's a common theme with some of our favorite guests and people we've had on the show that we aspire uh, to, to, to be like them or to, to have their success is that they are uh, constantly reading, always sort of keeping up with things, um, being uh, kind of lifelong learners. Um, and that's always the lesson I, I take back and, and making sure that we're reading new things, getting new concepts, uh, reaffirming maybe the things we know to be true and, and maybe finding even better ways to to help our, our employees and help ourselves be more successful. So really appreciate you mentioning those books and a few of the other ones that you kind of mentioned during the conversation of uh, as a reminder to everyone who's listening, we will have a blog post about this, and we'll list all those books and put links in there for you. So if you didn't have a pen and paper handy, you can you can get that a later date on peopleg2.com on our blog section. You know, you mentioned well, sorry, a- I didn't mention other books, but I mean, you you know, we only have a limited amount of time. I mean, there are so many you know good good books out there that uh, that are are available for for any of you to to read, and and uh, so I, you know maybe at some other point I can lists other books but uh, those are the ones that popped into my head yeah absolutely they were, they were great ones so i appreciate you doing that uh, you know you mentioned a lot of great things today uh, i wonder if someone was listening and uh they were going to take away just one thing out of everything you said 
what was that what should that one takeaway be in your mind that they should walk away with and maybe go back and ponder and think about uh, that you talked about I think uh, maintaining good self-control and self-control I define as as overcoming a, a, a difficult situations or bad behavior uh, and you do that through you know looking outside yourself uh, being kind gentle charitable uh, you know finding the good in people I think if you do that uh, then that that's a good take takeaway message is to just help others rather than just focus on yourself I have a saying that goes you can only give as much love as you're willing to receive and so it's it, it goes to the to the heart of if you see uh, somebody helping you then that get, it inspires you to help other people and uh, and so be willing to to accept help from others uh, when when people you know come to say uh, Gee, do you need any help? Say, sure, I can sure, sure use your help. Uh, don't say, oh, no, I'm okay, I'm, I'm doing fine, uh, you know, you don't don't worry. That's egotistical. We, we do that because we're just trying to, to um, uh, you know, say, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I'm, I'm doing great, I don't need anybody's help. That's not true. No man is an island. We all need others. And, and even though you may not need that help, say, yes, I'll take their help, because that will draw you closer to them, uh, you will feel more obligated to help others, and so you know, just be willing to, to accept help. And 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 we all business leaders, we we're proud. We you know we think that you know we don't need anybody else. We've got everything we need, and that's just not true. We need each other, and uh, the way you can uh, demonstrate that is by by uh, willing be willing to accept help. I know it's going to sound strange to your listeners, but uh, you know whether you think you need the help or not. Accept it if it's given. Yeah, it's great advice, and really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Um, you know, how can people find out more about you, and maybe they're interested in the book or, or you personally? What's the best way for them to give a website, or can they contact you? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, thank you, Chris. Yes, we have a website. It's called ToughThingsFirst.com. Um, we also have a, have a Facebook page called Raise In Entrepreneur, and then uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on Wikipedia, uh, so you know the, there's a number of ways that they can they can connect um, with me. Uh, my book is is with, it listed with all the major um, uh, book distributors, uh, uh, primarily though Amazon, I would say, not to, to short uh, the other people, but uh, that's the one that seems to be doing the best for us. Um, so my book is also called Tough Things First, and uh, that's that's probably the the best way to, to get a hold of us or through, through your uh, uh, podcast. Well, Ray, I really appreciate you being on the show, sharing all of uh, your wisdom and, and knowledge from uh, your great works. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing and maybe if you've written the next book or whatever is next for you and, and what you're going to be doing, we we'll be fascinated to hear what your next chapter will be. Well, some people ask me what I do in retirement. Is I just keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, I, I mean, I don't go into the office every day, but I work on my book. I work on on, on helping. I teach at the universities. I've I've got uh, upcoming. I've got two universities. I'm speaking to in a couple of weeks. Um, I've got a thing called Zen Starter, which is a an, uh, kind of like a an entrepreneur startup program for 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 universities. Uh, so there are a lot of things I've done rather than just sit on a rock in Hawaii. Well, it sounds like you're keeping busy, and that's exactly what uh, you need to be doing. You just change your location, that's all. It sounds like your day is just as full as it was before. But 
Uh, it was fascinating to hear about it. Way. Thank you so much, Ray. Uh, hopefully everyone who's listening has gained something that they can use their own career in a positive way. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week. We will have Chris Brown, the uh, CCXP for uh, Market Culture, and then we'll have uh, Misty Ruiz, uh, Chief People Advisor for Facio. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.